0: Hey, good to see you guys today. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? What a great time in worship, great time in the presence of God. Man, I just woke up this morning with so much expectation to be here, uh, not just to worship God, but to be with you. Um, It's so incredible that we're a family. We get to do this every week, and it's such an awesome time in God's presence, and what a great day. Uh, Man, we've been in a journey over the past few weeks called Starving. How many of you were here last week to hear Pastor Jess? He's the author of the book Starving. That was incredible. I want to encourage you if you didn't, uh, weren't able to come last Sunday and be here live or you haven't heard it online, please give yourself the gift of going and watching that service because Pastor Jess has such a grace and authority in this whole area of what it means to pursue Jesus. Not in a legalistic way, not in a treating God like a slot machine. I put a quarter in and I get blessings out or something, but in a in a relational way. He just did such a great job talking about that and I would encourage you to avail yourself of that. Uh, go and, and watch that. And we're gonna finish this journey today of starving. We're gonna finish the series out. Before that, I wanna show you guys a picture. This last week, Bethany and I did a trip for her birthday and uh, we went to the Grand Canyon. So those of you who, who always hear me talk about not going outside, I do, I do. I do go outside. Uh, I I figured it out though. I I think I spend about 94% of my life in my leather chair in front of the fire at our house, but the other 6% is a mixed bag of what, you know, what we do. Um, But we did go to the Grand Canyon last week and it was awesome. Uh, Or this, yeah, this past week. Now you can't really tell from the picture, but we are at a place here called uh, Guano Point, which is, uh, yes, bat poop, you know, Guano Point. Uh, There was, in the 50s, they built this this uh, cable car that would go to this mine where they would mine the bat poop for nitrogen for fertilizer, go figure. And uh, a, a military jet came through, they were hot-dogging illegally through the Grand Canyon, not supposed to be doing that, but if you were a fighter jet pilot, you would too, so let's not judge. And they actually clipped the cable and it ended that, that mine. The, the pilot didn't die, luckily, but anyways, this is where we are. Uh, has anybody been there before on the west side of the Grand Canyon? Is there anybody? Cool, a few people. This is 4,000 feet deep. So the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa, which is in Dubai, it's, it's not even that tall. Uh, it would fit inside of the Grand Canyon at this point. And so the picture doesn't do it justice. It is literally breathtaking, especially if you fall, and <laughs> it's really breathtaking. <laughs> but we were, sorry, so, not sorry, we were at the Grand Canyon, and I'm a bit of a worrier. Those of you that know me, I get a little nervous, you know, about things, and so I was like, hey babe, you know, that's good far enough. You know, she's like, there's the edge, and we're, like, back here. And she'd, she'd be, like, get a little closer and be like, ah! you know. Finally, I just walked away. Well, then at one point, I decided I was going to get, you know, a little bit. I was probably this far away. Is that accurate? Farther back. Okay. <laughs> Farther. Okay. <laughs> so I, I got, you know, this close to look over. And my wife, the treasure of my life, my love of my life, you know, just precious, sweet, spiritual, godly woman, comes up and goes, ah! <laughs> she tapped me, in, ah! you know, so I was, I was scared, and I told her, so we're on, we're on this part here, and this is like, Guano Point is incredible, it's like this peninsula out into the Grand Canyon, and it's 4,000 feet deep on the left, it's 4,000 feet deep on the right, and uh, Bethany, you know, wants to hike around the point. And so we do that. So we're, we're going. And at, as we get to the farthest extent, we're probably about this far from the edge. And I had my hand on the rocks. And I was like, hey, babe, um, what's your stress level at? I was like, out of 100, I'm about an 87 at this moment. And she's like, I'm a one. I'm. <laughs> We're like six feet and I'm just like on the edge here. Oh man, it was great. So that's what we did last week, uh, Grand Canyon. I'd encourage you to go and check it out. At one point, as we we're up there, a helicopter flew underneath us. I mean, just to give you a sense, every, it's just crazy. Like we're seeing a helicopter go through there and just wild. But it really is amazing, this, the scope and the grandeur. Again, a picture doesn't do it justice, so go visit it sometime. It was a, it was a great time. Uh, moving forward, we're going to jump in and talk about finish off our journey here in starving. It's been a great time. Um, we've been in a time of fasting and prayer, and I just want to commend you as a church. You know, this morning, uh, Bethany was doing the tagging with the Dream Team. I'm out of breath thinking about the Grand Canyon, sorry. <laughs> I still, I got nervous. I don't know. My, I was back there in my mind. Um, this morning, she, she asked our, our Dream Team, we were doing a, a tagging, she said, what did God, you know, share what God did in you in the, in the fast. And, and just hearing everyone talk about it just was really encouraging to me because I really love the fact that we as a church, and, and this is me just pouring effusive praise on, on, on you guys and all of us, that we, we care about pursuing Jesus. We care about deepening ourselves spiritually. You know, it's interesting living in this culture uh, our culture is not very spiritually or heavenly-minded. Our culture is very much about what we can consume, what we can earn, what we can uh, pursue when it comes to pleasure. And the spiritual life, or what maybe Socrates would call the examined life, uh, is not is not often considered. Many people are very spiritually vacuous, just empty, and, and not really concerned about it. And I, and I see in our church there's been such a hunger. I mean, it was like the first day um, when we released the books, and we said, hey, we have a hundred books. I think they were sold out on that first Sunday. Uh, and that, that, that actually really encouraged me because what it, it told me is that this group of people here, this, this spiritual family, this church, Joy Church, all of us, we, we care about pursuing Jesus. This idea of fasting that we've been going through is this, saying, God, I'm more hungry for you than the things of this world. There are so many people that are just hungry for the things of this world. I need more money. I need more relationship. I need more fun. I need more pleasure. And as a church, we've been saying, God, we're more hungry for you than the things of this world. We recognize that there are many things we could fill ourselves with, but we would rather be filled with your purpose. We'd rather be filled with prophetic destiny. We'd rather be filled with your spirit. And uh, fasting is the act of denying not our sinful desires necessarily, but our natural desires and intentionally emptying ourselves so that we can be filled with God's presence. We empty ourselves in the act of fasting, whether you're fasting food or you're fasting media or whatever it is you're giving up or abstaining or emptying ourselves of something, not so we can just be empty, but so we can be filled. And I think the key thought out of this series is that if you don't get anything else, I mean, get this, that fasting should always lead to feasting. And I don't mean when you break your fast and you go eat hot mama's wings like we did when we broke our fast, <laughs> though that is a good part of it. Come on, we can enjoy it. But, uh, but I'm talking about being emptied so we can be filled, and it's that feasting upon the presence of God and feasting relationally with Him and feasting in His Word. We've talked about in this series, as we empty ourselves, being filled with thanks. We've talked about being filled with the Spirit, and today I want to talk about being filled with the Word of God, filled with the Scripture, talking about the unique relationship that we as disciples of Jesus have with this book that we call the Bible. And I'm probably going to refer to my iPad as the Bible because I tend to do my Bible reading on this, but if you have a physical analog Bible, you're at least 10% more holy, so hold it up and, and wave it to everybody. But this relationship that we have with God's word, with the scripture, I think this is an interesting story. Jesus, right after he's been baptized by John the Baptist, goes out, it says he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, that the, the, the Holy Spirit moved Jesus, not because he needed more mojo, not because he needed to be more righteous, but for uh, this this moment he's driven out into the wilderness he's been fasting for 40 days and in matthew chapter 4 it says this during that time the devil came and said to him if you are the son of god tell these stones to become loaves of bread but jesus told him no the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god and what jesus is describing here we're getting an inference here that there is a different paradigm a different way of thinking about life and about being filled You see, if you are a part of this 21st century, very naturalistic uh, culture that we're all a part of, consumeristic, naturalistic culture, we sort of ignore the spiritual. We sort of ignore the solical, other than maybe some people who are a little bit more woo-woo than others. But we, for the most part as a culture, ignore this side of things, and we focus purely on the physical, the natural, and our fulfillment of natural desires. But Jesus says, though I could turn these stones into bread, because I believe Jesus could, I'm not going to because I want to be filled with something else. I live by the word of God. I want to receive God's words, his revelation. That is what uh, I want to be filled with. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in this moment. Would say that as a follower of Jesus, we need to connect with this idea, this reality that we are not just time plus slime plus chance. We're not bone and blood and biology dancing to the tune of our DNA. We don't live in a purely materialistic, naturalistic universe. But we live in a world uh, and we, that is actually natural and supernatural, and we are beings that are both natural and supernatural or spiritual, and that we need to connect with that reality because that's a part of who we are. And everyone is tapped into a particular spiritual uh, feast that they're feasting on, whether they Are intentional about it is the question and so when we talk about being filled with God's Word we're saying I want to connect with your thoughts I want to connect with your word I want to connect with your philosophy your truth and get that on the inside of me when I talk to people about religion or philosophy of religion studying various worldviews and religions uh, I, I like to bring it down to the three fundamental questions you know whether you're an atheist or a Buddhist or you believe in the great spaghetti monster in the sky Your worldview, what you live from and what you use to observe reality and and operate in this world is going to have to answer three questions. Question one is the question, what is real? What is ultimate reality? Why is there something rather than nothing? Why do we exist? It's the question of ontology. Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz said, why is there something rather than nothing? It's the fundamental question of metaphysics. And if you're an atheist, you have to answer that question. If you're a Christian, you have to answer it. You have to answer the second question, what is true? This is the question of reason and knowledge, what we call philosophically epistemology, how we know what we know. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, if all we are is just atoms and chemical processes and we're just purely biological and materialistic, then why should we trust our thoughts about anything? Why should we think that what we think coheres with reality at all? There's no reason to believe that. So every worldview has to answer this question of reason and Why do we trust our thoughts? Why do we say something is true or false and how do we make those distinctions? And then third, the question that I think most impacts our life on a day-to-day basis, what is right? This is the question of ethics and morality. How do we determine that which is right and that which is wrong? What you'll find is that every person, even those who deny the Judeo-Christian conception of morality, always have a morality. We, people will say, well, we live in an immoral world. It's actually not true. We live in a hyper-moral world. It's just that the target of morality is always shifting and moving if it's rooted in the individual rather than rooted in revelation, as Christians believe rooted in the revelation of Scripture, that God is the one because he is ultimate reality and created us, created the universe, because he established the laws of logic and science and the the rules of reason that we can connect and have meaningful conversation and thought processes answering that question of what is right. Because God is God, he's the one that determines what is right and what is wrong, and we live off of that. So you have to answer these questions, whether you are a, an atheist, whether you're a Buddhist, believe in the great spaghetti monster in the sky, or whether you're a Christian. Okay, that was a lot. Everybody take a deep breath. <gasps> okay, okay, it's okay. I won't teach you anything smart the rest of the day. Okay, everything else, we'll, just, we'll dumb it down a No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. What, why I bring that up, why I talk about these three questions is because if you believe that the world is purely natural, purely physical, then it should always be about consuming in the moment and fulfilling your natural desire. It should always be about getting what you want when you want it as fast as you possibly can. Because in that universe, there's no transcendent meaning. There's no purpose. Your life doesn't have any value or meaning beyond getting what you want in the moment. Are you with me? But Jesus says, look, Satan, I could turn. I want to eat. Jesus was hungry, okay? He'd been fasting for 40 days. I fast, I'm fast. i great, guys, at finishing three-day fast in a day and a half. Like, I'm amazing. I'm always ahead of the schedule. <laughs> My sister Natalie and I, it was like we, we couldn't look at each other during a fast because it would be like I could feel her lust for a sandwich just coming out of her. You know what I mean? It would be like, you want to go to Dickie Joe's and get a burger or whatever. You know, you want to go to R&D sandwich shop. Like, we'd always end our fast early. Um, Where am I going with this? I don't remember. I had to get back on track. So Jesus, yeah, that's right. Hungry. He's hungry. Thank you. Who's that that helped me out? Is that Scott? That's why Scott's an elder at Joy Church, right? Because he helps me out in the sermons. If you want to be an elder here, you need to be more like Scott. So Jesus is hungry. Satan comes to him and says, you can make that pain, that want, that desire for food go away. And Jesus could have. But he said, wait a minute, different worldview, different reality. I don't just need to fulfill my right now needs. I want to connect with meaning. I want to connect with something better. I want to connect with God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so today we're talking about being filled with the Word. Why is the Bible? Why is the Scripture? Why are we as Christians so rooted to this document, this book, historically and in our now moment, in, in this moment of culture, why do we still put the Bible on such a pedestal and, 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 ha- and, and give it this place of prominence? Why is the Bible so vital in the life of a disciple of Jesus? Well, first, it is theoponusto. It's the Greek word for saying God breathed. It's inspired. It comes from Him. It's His Word. It's His His perspective, if you will, or his communication. I I like to call the Bible, or even the Christian faith at large, the true story of reality. It's God's revelation to us about the way things were, are, and will be. The purpose of the Bible, though, is not just information. Its purpose is transformation. We as Christians don't just read the Bible to get information and go, okay, our beliefs and our, our ideas are better than some other religion. We actually treat the Bible at a higher level. It's not just a book of information like a textbook. It's actually a book that transforms us and changes us from the inside out. We believe that if you read the Bible, if you will read the Bible and then you will actually apply the Bible, if you'll do what it says, if you'll begin to let it change you from the inside out, not just changing you externally that you do different things. Well, I used to watch bad movies and now I don't. No, it's that it changes and transforms you into the type of person who no longer wants... Or desires that into a person that now wants the things that God would want in, for, and through you. And and if if you like that idea and concept, man, come back next week. Because it's going to be an incredible message about this paradigm shift of God transforming us into the type of person that wants to obey. Not just obeys because we're scared of God. So the Bible transforms us. It doesn't just change your perspectives. It doesn't just change your ideas. It changes you. And if you do what it says and you follow it, you'll be transformed into the person that God made you to be. One of the things that we deeply believe here, and we wrote it, we believe it so much, we spent $500 to put it on a banner. It says you were made on purpose and for a purpose. You see, if you follow the way of this world, the purely naturalistic, consumeristic, physical-only universe, fulfill my needs, you lose all of this transcendence of purpose purpose. You know, most people, they live their life believing they're just time plus slime plus chance, and yet they have these things inside of them wrestling. They know that's not the case, but, they, but the world just continues to say, well, just get more sex, or more this, or more that, or medicate yourself or this, or whatever. Fulfill your desires. But we know in, the, in our very bones that we were made for more. We're made on purpose and for a purpose. God made you for a purpose. And interacting with Scripture and letting it transform you, you will begin to connect with that person that God made you to be. That you were born for this time and this season. You might not like the cultural moment that you find yourself in, but God orchestrated your existence for the right now moment so you could m- make a difference for the world, for other people, and be a, an agent of change and an agent of salt and light in a, in a world that so desperately needs it. You were born right now for on purpose and for a purpose, and getting into the scripture and doing it is going to help you discover that. Pastor Rick Warren says this, we only really believe the parts of the Bible that we actually apply to our life. So as we talk about, and I believe that, right? Do you really believe it if you don't put it into action? No, it was just theoretical Christianity rather than practical. This document, this, this book, it's so much a part of who we are as believers and it's so vital. Let's talk about what the Bible does for us. I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul Writing to his spiritual son Timothy, a man that he discipled for many, many years. Apostle Paul historically is thought to have been born around A.D. 5 or 6. Uh, We know that he dies between the the year of A.D. 64 to A.D. 68 because it was during the reign of Nero, the crazy Roman emperor, right? Nero, who fiddled when Rome burned. I think he played Devil Went Down to Georgia Looking for a Soul to Steal. (laughs) So Nero, but in Italian, Devil Went Down to Georgia Looking for a Soul to Steal. Okay, so... (laughs) That was the best joke I've ever told on a Sunday, <laughs> hands down, comedic gold. Okay, Nero, 64 to 68 AD. He has this persecution going on of the church. It was a terrible persecution. He was feeding Christians to lions. They were burning them alive, using them as torches in their palaces. And and this is the Apostle Paul is in prison in the Mamertine prison in Rome, and we know that he's executed in this time. And so Second Timothy is thought to have been written or known to have been written at this period of time. And so. The, the, the uh, seriousness, the gravity of this moment as Paul writes these words. This is his last letter to Timothy. Now, Timothy, we believe, goes to Rome and actually spends some time with Paul before he dies. But as far as the written communication, this is the last words. And Paul reminds Timothy in verse 15 of chapter 3. He says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. I want to just pause for a moment here. Paul tells Timothy, you've been taught the Bible. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures. Now, Timothy didn't have the Bible as we have it with the 66 books wrapped up with gold letters and your name written on the front. He didn't have that. They had scrolls. They had, at this point, the Old Testament and some of the epistles at this period in time. But Paul says, Timothy, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. In some recent interactions I've had with people who are struggling and not having a lot of hope in things, it, it has become so clear to me that this world offers us varying options of wisdoms, of philosophies, of worldviews, of ideas about how you can be fulfilled. And if you do this, you'll be enlightened or you'll be empowered or you'll be whatever Oprah says you'll be. You'll be whatever this political party wants you to be or wants you to do. And if you do this, you'll get this. And there's all of these wisdoms of this world And when I look at people's eyes and I I talk to them, it's not that I am perfect in my life or that I have perfect hope and always and never have a bad day. It's actually contrary. I have a lot of bad days. But at the bottom of my life, when I am hanging over the cosmos and a meaningless existence, my feet always land on the fact that Jesus died for my sins and redeemed me and I have purpose. I hit this bottom level where I go clunk and my feet hit the ground and I go, I have hope. Even though everything stinks around me, right now when I hit this bottom level, I have Jesus Christ. And that is the wisdom that is foolishness to the Greeks or stumbling block and foolishness to the world. But it is the wisdom of God. It is the hope of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, Timothy, you've heard this scripture. You've read the Bible and it's led you to this wisdom of salvation that comes by trusting in Christ. And I'll tell you this, there is no other wisdom that will lead you to hope and salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the more people I interact with, and the more I read Twitter, and the more I look at whatever the news stations are putting out, and whatever the philosophy of this age, and no matter how woke we get, what I find is that all it leads us to is more futility. All we are is Sisyphus pushing a rock up a hill every day again and again and again. And when I come to Christ, what I find is a story of reality that makes sense and coheres with the world I live in and find myself in and offers me, the real me, hope. And Paul says, Timothy, you found this, this wisdom, it comes from the scriptures. So many people are finding a wisdom apart from the scriptures. And I would ask you this, is it wisdom or is it folly? Folly. All scripture, Paul says, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. If you want to drink deep of purpose and meaning in your life and connect with what you were made on purpose and the purpose you were made for. You know, God has purpose for you, but he also has purpose in you. There's purpose in you. You're becoming the image of of Christ. You're becoming something. You're becoming who you were really made to be in Christ, but he also has purpose for you in this world. It's an incredible thing. If you would connect with that, if you would want that, if you would desire that, listen to what Paul is saying. It's the scriptures, it's the Bible, it's God's word that will prepare you on the inside and equip you on the outside to do every good work. And so I would encourage us as a church to make the scripture a priority, the priority of our life. The thing that we, we anchor ourselves on, like Jesus said, if you hear my teachings and you do them, you're like a person who builds their life on the rock, and when the storm comes, the house doesn't fall. You say, well, Pastor Jake, I'm so busy. Well, cancel some other stuff and focus on reading your Bible for transformation, for connecting with your purpose, for learning God's thoughts, and understanding, not just information, but transformation. Well, yeah, but I have, there's sports to watch. Yeah, like tape them, watch them later. But I have to get my kids ready for school. Wake up earlier. Pastor Jake, I feel like you're not being clear. Let me be clear. Give more time and attention to reading your Bible every day because inside the scripture is the real Jesus and the wisdom that leads to salvation. It will not just give you information so you think differently. It will change the way you think altogether. It's a complete transformational thing that happens from the inside out. Yeah, but the Bible's hard to read. Like, it's weird. It starts with two naked people and a talking snake. (laughs) Do you think that's weird? Read Genesis 6 when angels have babies or women have babies with angels and they're giants. And there's no irony. It's not like, (laughs) ha, 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 like a joke. It's like the story in the scripture. And then later God gets really mad and he kills everyone with a giant flood. You're like, this is a terrible sermon. I'm just this is what it says in the Bible. Read the book of Judges if you haven't like if you're watching like shows on HBO, just read the book of Judges. It's basically the same level. <laughs> and you think I'm joking, but I'm not. Anybody that's read the Bible, like it's pretty raw. Because what it's talking about is this broken world and the screwed up stuff that people do and God's interaction and all of this. When you get into it, though, when you begin to get into this story and get into this, this, this document of what God's doing in Scripture, it's going to change you. It's going to change how you think. In fact, what it's going to do, it's going to grate on you. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that I wish wasn't in there. Because my kids ask me questions. They're like, what about that? And I'm like, well, your mom wanted to talk to you about that. What about this? What about that? There's things in the scripture that they, they kind of bug me. They, 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 they don't jive really well with my 21st century perspectives of things. And so I'm forced to sort of decide what do I build my life on? You know, as culture shifts and changes and moves from morality to morality and whatever is wrong 20 years ago is now right. and What was right then is wrong now. And it moves so radically and yet the scripture is always the same. It's like for thousands of years Christians have said, hey, what we believe about sexuality and marriage and divorce and what we believe about righteousness and unrighteousness and all these things and what is right and what is wrong, like we don't get to shift and change to be more culturally palatable. We just built our life on the rock and so Christians in different times of history have just been like weirdos and guess what? We're in one of those phases right now. Most of the people that live in our culture If you're faithfully following scripture for your ethical foundation, they think you're basically like a weird pilgrim without thanksgiving. Like they think you're like a Puritan, like you're just weird, like you don't do that, like why not? Like you you think that about sex and marriage? Like you're crazy, like you're so weird if you're following the Bible. But the reality is in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. I'll just let you drink on that for a while. Think about that for a while. In a world gone mad, sane people seem crazy. In a world gone bonkers, where men aren't men, women aren't women, and men can be pregnant, which is not true, in case anybody is worried about it. I mean, what I think about this, we don't have pregnant people. Okay, I'll stop. That's enough. No, it's not enough. You can't have pregnant people. There are men and there are women. Made in the image of God. That's what it says in the book. Okay, now, he's getting so political. That's not political. That's logical. That's science. And it's saying I have my feet on the rock of the scripture. So even though everyone else goes crazy, I don't get to decide that now we have pregnant people. What I get to decide is if I'm going to follow what God says in his word or not but I don't get to have it both ways. Okay, I'll finish my sermon. (laughs) Six ways the Bible helps us. Now, some of you don't like what I said, and some of you love it, and both of you are wrong. The ones that love it too much, you need to humble yourself and look to reach the culture that believes nonsense, not reject them. Those of you who hated what I said need to turn your brain on and connect with truth and answer the questions that that those kinds of lunatic ideas bring up. So let's not love or hate that too much, what I said, because I didn't say it to be incendiary. I said it because I'm trying to get us all to root ourselves on scripture. Six ways the Bible helps us. Number one, it instructs us. And just in case anybody's worried, I'm not mad. I'm actually in a great mood. I'm just passionate about us as a group of people journeying together, loving each other, following Jesus, that it's my job to make sure we're actually moving towards the direction (laughs) that God would have us move towards. And so we have to get off of lunacy and say we either are following the scripture as our North star of what God is calling us to in reality and truth and morality, or we're not, but we can't have it both ways. Okay. Six ways the Bible helps us. Number one, it instructs us. Joshua one this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. In Deuteronomy 11, I'm not going to read the whole scripture just for time's sake, but Moses is giving the law of God and he says to the, these Israelites you know, out in the wilderness as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, like commit yourselves wholeheartedly, tie these things, put tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders, talking about God's word, teach them to your children, talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. The Bible instructs us. It gives us accurate information of how to live and what reality is and how to operate in this world. And for all of us as parents, I mean, what sticks out to me here is the fact that it's our job to be the gatekeepers of what we teach as truth and reality and worldview to our children. And we live in a society that has wanted to outsource that to schools or to whoever, but it's, you can't do that. It's your job to teach your kids how to live. Are they going to follow God? Are they going to do this? You know, these ancient Jews would tie these uh, scriptures. They would cut them, you know, the little scrolls. They'd put the pieces in a box called a phylactery, and they would tie it around their head and wear a little box. Now, I think they were being a little hyper-literal here, because I don't think actually tying scripture physically close to your forehead uh, does anything other than give you acne. But but the idea there was that I want to get this in my brain, get it in my head, what God said, his laws, his rules, his, his perspectives, get that close to me, tie it on my wrist. It, it influences what I do. It's on the door of my house. So I walk in and when I walk out, I see what God has said. And that's the level of connection we're to have with this. So God's word instructs us. Number two, it corrects us. I don't know about you, but I get off course quite regularly. Paul, again in, in Timothy, it's all, all scriptures inspired by God, useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong in our lives, and it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word will arrest your momentum as you're going in the wrong direction. And if you're serious about studying the Bible and you're serious about reading it, there's going to be things that cause you to go, I'm not in alignment with this. And so it, it shifts you back onto the right path. Number three, the scripture is the story of God's love for us. You know, my children, we, we were gone for a few days, and, and I told Bethany the night before we got back, I don't, I don't miss the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and we were having a... <laughs> we... That was a little calloused, but people that just have a brand new newborn, it's like, you know, it's all fresh in the honeymoon phase. And then we have like 10, eight, six. I mean, we're we're like in the Vietnam phase. It's not, it's a different level. So, but we love our kids so much. And uh, then, so I told her the night before we got home, you know, before we flew out, I, I don't miss them. I want more time, you know, and whatever. But then the next day I just missed them so bad on the plane, you know, as we were flying back. and And when I saw those little trout sniffers, man, my heart, burst and they come running out grandma and grandpa had them so sugared up i mean we need them in detox for like a week after they go to grandma and grandpa's house but they come running up and they're jumping on me and you know hugging and and then um we got home that night and we watched a show and i wanted them on top of me you know watching the show get in the blanket you know i'm uncomfortable shut up i'm loving on you you know i don't care if you're uncomfortable (laughs) you know what i'm talking about do you know that my love for my kids is a drop of spit in the ocean to God's love for you? God loves you so much. When Jesus talks about the love of the Father, he, he, there's a story in the Bible where He says it's like this word I can't even pronounce it in Greek, but it's like, it sounds like a spagnoy or something. But it, 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 what it means is in the bowels, in God's like stomach, it hurts because He loves you so much. And when you read the scripture. And you go through this, you can't help but understand that God loves us so much. If if you want to just sort of even get like a a, a a philosophical window into this, I would encourage you to read Timothy Keller's book, the the reason for God. And he has a portion of this book called the Dance of the Trinity. And he talks about that God didn't need us; He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit in this forever dance of love and intimacy. But out of this love comes this desire to share the beauty and the glory of relationship. And out of that Desire is the act of creation of why God, why does he create a universe? Why does he create us? He wants us to share in this beautiful relationship. The, the most happy and joyful and, and feeling of connectedness that you've ever had in your life pales in comparison to when we finally get to be with him forever and we will feel this perfect sense of peace. And God's love is what is driving this whole story. It says in Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still Sinners, that God's love even stretched beyond our responsiveness, and even in our place where we were basically all giving God the middle finger, His love overpowered. His love was given. Number four, the scripture points us to Jesus. If you search for Jesus in the Bible, you're going to find Him cover to cover. He, he's all throughout, and, and Jesus is the, the thread that's woven through the whole thing. Um, to understand, The scripture, you have to understand the primacy and the the place of Christ. The law displays him, the prophets proclaim him, the gospels reveal him, and the epistles explain him. He's, He's there all along. He's there in the story of Abraham and Isaac, as God says to Abraham, give your son sacrifice. He doesn't end up doing it, but it's a prophetic picture looking forward to the sacrifice where a father would give his son in an act of love. He's there in the story of Boaz in the book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer, He's there throughout the whole thing in the prophets. He's there in the book of Isaiah, 600 years before the birth of Christ, where Isaiah says, unto you, child is given, Emmanuel, God with us. He's there, he's in it. He's there when he shows up in the story and he's there in Revelation 22. Cover to cover, Jesus is there. And so the the Bible, to know Jesus, the real Jesus, not the woke Jesus, not the social justice Jesus, not the revolutionary Jesus, not the Jesus of a particular race or color or whatever, or socioeconomic class, not the Jesus of a political agenda, but the real Jesus is in the scripture. Yeah. And you must read the scripture to know the real Jesus. Yeah. It anchors us to truth, number five. Doubting Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, who's was called Doubting Thomas, which is, that stinks, right? If you're like him forever, it's like, no, oh, fine, Peter gets all the good you know, stuff and I'm Doubting Thomas. But <laughs> Doubting Thomas was asking Jesus about truth and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we live in a culture that is just, there's so many messages and we're bombarded in the winds of change and culture and, you know, things that were wrong 20 years ago now are right and we have pregnant people. I mean, it's like a crazy world and we don't even agree on everything and people are like, all of the institutions are crumbling. I mean, it's a crazy time. And again, I just want to remind us that Jesus said, if you will listen to my teaching and you'll do them, your life is built on a rock. And so storms are going to come, culture is going to change, society is going to shift, things get weird, they're going to get weirder, they're going to get less weird, but but through it all, you have the rock of Jesus and his word, and we can build our life on it. Number six, the scripture reveals God's nature and character to us. The Bible gives us propositional truth to shape our experiential knowledge of God. And it points us to the real Jesus that is so often obscured by human agendas. Now, guys, I am like dyed-in-the-wool charismatic. I speak in tongues. I'm charismatic from right here all the way to the bottoms of my feet. I believe in miracles. Like, I'm a supernatural guy. When I get pressed, man, I don't don't speak in English. I speak in tongues. Like, I am charismatic. Somebody say amen. amen. But you know what? If you come to me and you're like, hey... You know, my—I don't. The scripture is not the way I live my life. Like I just—I had this prophetic revelation. I'm going to be like, you're crazy. You need to go right back to the Bible. Like we judge all prophecy, we judge all experiences, we judge our—all uh, the charismatic stuff. We judge it through the scripture because the scripture, the Bible, is the final arbiter of truth. It is the lens by which we look at the world. And though we have these experiences and miracles and healings and we believe in prophecy and all that stuff, it has to come through the filter of scripture. And so we get the real picture of God's nature and and character in Scripture of of who God really is. Like in Romans 8 when it talks about God's love and we find out that his root drive is his love and mercy. Though he is perfectly just, he's driven by love. It's, It's phenomenal. And so I would encourage you to read the entire Scripture cover to cover. And not just like try to like apply it to yourself, but think about, okay, God, what if you just this year read the Bible and instead of thinking, what does this do for me? What if you read it and you just thought, I want to get to know God. You know, when we were first married, Bethany and I, I was trying to tell her who I was. Well, you know, I don't like it when you say this to me because I'm the type of person who just, you know, wants it this way or whatever. I'd like you to talk to me this way. And, of course, being a wonderful Christian, lovely person, she's like, okay, you know, I'll try it. And then she sometimes would try to tell me how I would be interacting with her. I think w- really in marriage what you discover over time is the less you think about yourself and the more you worry about learning about that person, everything's better. And here we are as Christians trying to get God to morph to what we need and want and desire and how we feel each moment and what is the Bible going to do for me. What if you just spent this year reading the Bible saying, I just want to get to know him. What is his motivation? How does he want me to show up day by day in this relationship? It changes everything. Okay, I want to leave you with three quick steps. I'm out of time. Cannot do justice to this message in this period of time, but I hope it at least wets your whistle. Three things, steps to take. Number one, I would challenge you to commit yourself to daily Bible study and meditation. I didn't say daily Bible reading. I said daily Bible study and meditation, Because if you've been a Christian for more than a few minutes, we get into box-checking mode. So our spiritual life is, I read my Bible reading plan, I read it, and it's just in one ear, out the other. Bible study is different. Bible study is, God, who are you? When I read this weird book of Ezekiel, it sounds like it was written by somebody who is currently actively on drugs. <laughs> who are you in this? Where's Jesus? And what is this? Who are you? Not, what do I get? No, who are you? Bible study is different Okay? than just box checking. Meditation is letting it sit in your mind, in your heart, and thinking it through, and examining and, and, and making a plan to move forward with that. There's no greater spiritual discipline than this. If you want to grow, you must feed on the Word of God. You must. If you want to grow. You want to know who you are in God, what you were made for? You want to become the person you were designed to be? Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to grow? you want to be saved? Do you want to You want to have this relationship with God like you must feed on the word of God. It's the path of spiritual growth. Number two, we challenge you to commit yourself to study and practice the Bible with other believers. And this for us is the context of joy groups. We don't do joy groups because churches are supposed to have small groups. Most of us don't like small groups. Most people don't want to go hang out with some people they don't know that well. Like, I know the joy groups. Some of them are amazing. Anywhere Tamara Blotney is, amazing. The rest of you, I don't know. You know, I don't go to your group. But anywhere Tamara, I don't go to her group, but she's just so amazing. I know wherever Tamara's at is going to be amazing. Wherever Sandy Sinclair is, amazing. You know what I mean? Wherever Bethany's at, like, some people are just, they like, they're like they like Jesus. John and Lee like I mean, you know, they're like more Christian than the rest. of. I mean, it's just amazing, you know. If you were at my group, and some of you have been to some of my groups, they're not that great. We don't do them because they serve a preference or make you feel warm and fuzzy. That's not why we do them. We do them for this reason. You can consume the Bible all by yourself, but you can't apply it all by yourself. You can consume it all by yourself. You can't live it out all by yourself. Therefore, in the context of a community, even artificially contrived, like a church tries to do with our groups, all we're trying to do is get Christians to come together together and live out this book. Just get together. What is God doing in Andrew? What is God doing in Jake? And in that kismet, in that moment, something happens where it's like, hey, I get to love my brother. I get to serve him. I get to pray. I get to go out together and tell somebody about Jesus and invite him to this group. We get to share hospitality. Like we get to do the Bible in community. You can't do it all by yourself. So that's why I challenge you Commit yourself to study and practice the Bible with other believers. And then third, ask God what part of his word you need to act on today. James 1.22 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. And so, last and final thought is this. There's a temptation as we follow Jesus to intellectualize the pursuit of Jesus. Intellectualize even our relationship with the Bible. Where we think that knowing more things about God makes us mature, but it doesn't. What makes you mature is the application of the knowledge you received. So when I am reading the Bible and I'm learning who God is and who I am and what the world is, and I'm getting this knowledge increased, Paul says in the scripture, knowledge by itself puffs up. So it's not just knowledge of scripture, knowledge of the Bible. I've read the Bible cover to cover 75 times. That doesn't make you more like Jesus. That just means you have more knowledge about this intellectual discipline. And so it is the marriage of knowledge and application that creates spiritual life. So that's why I say third, ask God what part of his word you need to act on today. Because when I read the Bible and I say, God, show me what to do now with this. Maybe, maybe the doing is just to shift a heart perspective about another person. Maybe the doing is to forgive. Maybe the doing is to sit in his presence and feel his love. I don't know what it's gonna be in that moment. It's not gonna always be some activity it might even be a recommendation of inactivity. But God's going to give you steps out of his word. So commit ourselves to study and meditate every day. Commit in community and commit to take action. Father, we open our hearts to you today. I pray that your word would penetrate us, would, would find good soil in our hearts. The seed would be planted and it would produce growth. God, we, we stand in a time in society where being a biblically faithful Christian puts us in kind of the weirdo box, and uh, Lord, we, we embrace it because we want to agree with you and be agreeable to you rather than be friends with a world that is gone mad. But Lord, in that posture, we don't stand in judgment and we don't stand in hostility. We actually stand with open arms saying we're all sinners, loved by God, saved by grace, and we're being enriched by your scripture, Lord, enriched by the word on a daily basis, feeding and feasting through your word to get to know you and know who you are and know the heart, your heartbeat, Lord, and your, your, your feeling about this world and your heart for us and a heart for our families. And so, Lord, we wanna grow, not so we can say, look, we've climbed some mountains, so we can say, look how mature we are, but we wanna grow because we love you, because we're your children, and it's our birthright and our portion to grow into your image as part of your family. Lord, we love you We give you this time in Jesus' name. Real quick, would you just bow your head and close your eyes, if you are here, And you say, Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian. I want God to save me. Would you just raise your hand right now in this moment? Don't have a ton of time, but I want to give an opportunity. If that's you, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going to pray a prayer, and then we're going to give you some next steps. You know, we believe that when you ask Jesus to save you, he does, because the scripture says that. But then being a Christian is a lifelong process. There's a journey of walking and following with Jesus following Jesus and walking with him. So we're gonna give you some next steps in that. Let's all pray this prayer together. And if you raise your hand, if you're making this commitment, pray with me here today. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with God. I give you my life And I thank you for my salvation in Jesus' name, amen.